The church said, amen. Hey, uh, good morning, everyone. It's good to see faces. It's good to see a lot of folks I've never seen before. Maybe you're passing through. Maybe uh, this is a new home. We're, just, we're glad you're here. We've been in a series now. This is part three of a series I've called Global God. I've been looking forward to preaching this series for over six months. In October every year, we have what we call a 316 offering. In the spring, we have a 901 offering that's more focused on 901's our area code. It's uh, local ministries, and in the fall, we do a 316 offering that 316, John 316, for God so loved the world. So the last few weeks, if you've been in this church, you've heard us talk about some of the mission efforts that we're engaged in. And what I've tried to do with the series and what I want to do again today is that we serve a God who is global. He's, he's a global God with a global mission. And the, something I just, uh, I've learned in... Um, I've learned about God and I've, I've grown to, to really appreciate about Him is God is willing to get as small as you need Him to get in your life. Uh, and He's also, He wants to reveal to you how big and sovereign He is. I love that in God's sovereignty, it doesn't keep Him from getting small. If you don't believe me, uh, Jesus was willing to get inside of a womb of a woman to be born into the world. God was willing to get really small. And there are times in your life when you've been going through some form of crisis, a, a death, you've been in a valley, that God is willing to get down in that with you. He's will, his grace can get lower than your lowest low. And what I'm trying to do in this series is we're a church who is involved heavily in local ministries. And I don't want us to get so locked into the local that we aren't uh, able to see some of the things God is doing all over the world and this bigger plan that is unfolding that God wants all people to be saved and to be drawn into, uh, into the heart of God. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. I want to unpack some of uh, the book of Acts for us this morning, uh, who, who the church was, why the church lived, what their mission was, how God gave the church a local ministry and also a global ministry. And the one verse I want to focus in on today is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Now, uh, if you're looking for a way to read the book of Acts, I think this is one of the lenses to read all of Acts through. This is a thesis. You can, you'll, you'll see this unpacked through the rest of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is Jesus before he has ascended into the heavens. He's speaking to the disciples, and here's what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The mission of God started in a local place, Jerusalem. It grew to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. This would be like us saying that this mission's going from Memphis to Shelby County, to the Mid-South, to the United States, to the ends of the earth. It started small in a centralized place, and then it would grow. But when you see Acts 1 verse 8, it's not just about where the good news is going to go. It begins with, you need, first of all, you're going to need the Holy Spirit to descend upon you, and then you become my witnesses. Do you know what it means to be a witness? A witness to something good, a witness to good news? Uh, my friend Randy Harris, he's a dear mentor, professor in Abilene. He travels the world preaching. He was in town last night. We went and we did dinner. And uh, I just started asking him hard questions about his life because years when I was in school, he asked me hard questions about mine. So I was asking him about joy and about the things that rob him of joy and how the state of his heart is and how, he, how he's doing with God. And I started asking him about relationships in his life. And, and Randy said a question he has started to ask people in his life, especially people that he has seen draw further and further away from God or maybe they're at a point where they deny God. A question he asked him is this, have I been a faithful witness to the love of God in your life? And he's opening himself up in that moment 
for people to say yes and to tell him how he has, but he's also opening himself up in those moments for how some people may say, I'm just really not seeing it in you. And can you think of maybe a neighbor, a coworker, a relative, a spouse, a friend, someone that you could ask that question to today? Am I being a faithful witness to God in your life? Like, are you seeing God in me? And if not, tell me how it is so I can, so I can have something I can lay before God so I can change in my life. Acts 1-8, it's about the Spirit coming. It's about you becoming witnesses. And then it's seeing that the gospel is about, is about progression. It is about movement. It's going somewhere. God's plan for the church is not to be stationary. It's to join in this great adventure. Uh, so in the Old Testament, there are times where you had the people of God who would build up walls. And in the Old Testament, walls were about fortification. It was about security. It was about keeping the enemy out. And it was about keeping your people in. But when you get to the New Testament and you see what Jesus has done through death, burial, and resurrection, the New Testament is not about building walls to keep people in and others out. The New Testament is about walls being torn down because the way the message goes is Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's not just for Jews. This is, this is for all people. It's the breaking down of racial tension and eth- ethnic walls and economic walls and generational walls because God is bringing together this family of all people. Uh, I didn't know it at the time. When I was in elementary school, some of the decisions my parents were making in their lives, how much it was shaping who I would be all the way up to today. Uh, in elementary school, late 80s, early 90s, I, um, my dad's first preaching job was in this little small town in East Texas. We lived there for five years. Uh, for me, it was second grade through sixth grade. It was a town of about six to 7,000 people, and it was a town at the time that was still divided by a railroad track. There was a kind of a white part of town and a black part of town. There was a wealthy part of town where whites and blacks both lived, and there was a poor part of town where you could find some whites, some, some blacks, and Latinos, and people from uh, a lot of different places. On Sunday mornings, uh, we would wake up, and I, being social, I had a younger brother, I had an older sister, we would invite, invite people to go to church with us. And I didn't realize at the time, uh, because my dad had to go to church early because he was the preacher, I didn't realize at the time the commitment my mom was making, how it was shaping who we would be. Because when I would ask my mom to pick up a friend for church, she never said no. When I asked my mom to pick up kids from certain neighborhoods, she never asked which neighborhood they're from, which part of town they're from. So late 80s, early 90s, I mean, this was back in the days where at least for us, where I lived, there weren't like seatbelt laws, or at least they weren't enforced. And, and my mom drove an Astro van that could hold about seven of us. And if there was such thing as a fire code on an Astro van, we broke it every Sunday morning. And my mom would drive through white neighborhoods and black neighborhoods, rich neighborhoods and poor neighborhoods, and we would fill our van up with our friends from many different places. Their skin color was different. They smelled different. We, we would all just pile in an Astro van. And then my mom would take us to get donuts before we got to church to eat donuts. Because, you know, you're really committed to church. When you don't just eat donuts before church, you also get donuts at church. That means you're really committed. Teachers in Bible classes love that, right? Like, let's sugar them up to get them into class. Let's sugar them up a little more. Um, when I was 11 years old, I felt like it was the first time in my life. When I look back, it was the first time God used me to help lead someone to Jesus. Because one of my friends, and he was a couple of years older than me, lived in my neighborhood. His family was from India. He was born and raised in the United States. His family was from India, and they were Hindu. 
and we started playing football in the front yard, and we would ride bikes, and I started inviting the church, and his parents let him come. And he kept coming to church and hearing these stories he had never heard before, so he started asking questions about the stories, about David and Abraham, and then he started asking questions about Jesus. And one night he was spending a night at our house before Sunday morning, he started asking questions about salvation and what it means to live in a relationship with Jesus. And I was doing the very best in an 11-year-old body to share with him what Jesus meant to me. And then uh, he started asking questions about how he, like what baptism means. And then he decided he wanted to be baptized. But what do you do when you have a 12 to 13-year-old friend? And I've been in these situations before. Do you tell the parents? Do you do like a a stealth baptism where we're not going to let anyone else know? You keep it a secret. We'll keep it a secret. We called his parents. And we asked their permission, and they gave him, gave him permission. And I saw this kid who was raised a Hindu surrender his life to Jesus when I was 11 years old. And I didn't realize at the time how my mother was helping give me this worldview where the kingdom of God and the church is about bringing people together from all different walks of life, that this is our future forever, and we might as well begin to live in it now. So when Jesus gives this mission to his people in the book of Acts, in verse 8, he lays in front of them this mission that isn't just going to stay in a place, and it's not, hey, go out there and bring as many people as you can to Jerusalem, because this is where the kingdom's going to be established. It's that the kingdom of God is on its way to the ends of the earth, and God has invited the church to get in on it. God is local, he's global. But before Acts 1 verse 8 could happen, two things had to happen. The first is, chapter 1 verse 4, the very first command you have in the book of Acts. It's called Acts because there's acting going on. There are acts of the Spirit, acts of the apostles. The first command in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1 verse 4, is Jesus says, I need you to go to Jerusalem and you need to wait for the Spirit to come. The first command is to wait. And it's always hit me as kind of ironic. Because you have these people who have been following Jesus for years, and they witnessed Jesus die on a cross, come out of the grave, he's alive, and I bet they're ready to do anything Jesus wanted them to do. It's like, give us an assignment, we're ready to go. And Jesus says, yeah, I want you to just go wait. Go wait for the Spirit to come. Well, Jesus, when's the Spirit going to come? And Jesus didn't give them a time or a date or here's what what it's going to feel like. It's like, you go to Jerusalem and you wait for the Spirit to come. The first thing before Acts 1-8 could happen is the Spirit had to come. The second thing was Acts chapter 2. There had to be revival. There had to be the kind of revival that would wake up the church to know with this overwhelming sense that God is overall, in all, through all, around all. He's the source of it all. Because there are times where we in the church want a mission from God. We want a mission to do. Give us an assignment. Give us a task. And sometimes God withholds the task because God wants to make sure that you have a heart for the one who gives you the task, not just for the task. That Why would God want to give you an assignment to do if your affections aren't growing for the one who gives assignments. And God wants to make sure hearts know who the source of it all is before he gives the assignment. All right, so uh, here's what I want to do for a few moments. I want to play around with some kingdom circles, all right? There are three of them. Draw them. Feel free to take pictures of the screen. If you do, make sure I'm in a decent pose when you do, all right? Uh, now, th- let me just let me walk through these. The first circle I want you to draw or see on the screen is a circle that I've called collective. Now, I wrestle with this because I, 
put church in there if you want to. I just don't want you to think church in a sense that it is a, a, a building that you go to. Church is so broad. It's about mission. It's about people who are moving with God. So church isn't just a location. It's where people are going. It's a movement we've been called into. But the first circle that plays out in the book of Acts is collective. It's the body of believers who come together for a purpose. In Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves daily. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, uh, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, to prayer, and to eating of donuts, all right? It may not be in your Bible, but just trust me, all right? In the Greek, it's there. All right, they devoted themselves to all these things, and they did this daily. They were constantly together. And what the church understood then is that they were invited into this community, not just to assemble once a week and pat each other on the back. They were invited into this, this unified mission, uh, and they needed each other because Jesus isn't about solo missions. He's about bringing people together to collectively work for the good of the kingdom. Church attendance had never been better than it was in the early church. Uh, sometimes I'm with people now and they say, well, you know what? I, I kind of just go to church when I want to go to church. Because if I wake up and I don't feel like it and then I go, I feel like a hypocrite. And I understand because I don't want to encourage anyone just to go through the motions. Uh, but you've got to recognize that there is an argument that there's nothing else in your life you would say that to. There are days you probably wake up and you don't want to go to work, but I bet you do. Because your job's on the line, a paycheck's on the line. There are days you may wake up and you don't feel like being a faithful spouse. Or you don't feel like pouring a lot of love into your kids. You don't feel like being a good neighbor. But you wake up and you do some of those things. Sometimes when you wake up and you don't feel like you need to go to church or the days you need to go, and by being there, somehow your heart is open to what God is doing in your life or you receive encouragement, edification from other people. What you have in the, in the book of Acts is the church comes together from many different places. And they form this community where they know that it is about mission, but it's also about coming together to sing some songs and hear scripture and to encourage one another and take communion because those are some of the things that form us in ways that, we, that it's hard to even measure. But it's not the only circle I want you to draw. There's also a circle, and I want you to call this local. Uh, because one thing you have in the church is they're given this mission right where they are. Uh, you, you know, you've heard me, I think, say this before. Uh, a few years ago, God really began to, to teach me and open me up to that, that the very worst, most evil, most immoral cities in the first century world now have books of the Bible named after them because God didn't give up on those places. Like the last place you would really want to raise children, it's in Ephesus or Corinth. Or, I mean, these are places full of pagan temples and, and temple prostitution and all forms of sexual immorality and other forms of immorality. Yet the church, it was birthed in those places and it grew because the church was called. And they knew that when God woke them up to what God was doing in the world, it opened up them up to love their, wherever they were, wherever their local context was. So this is to me where places like your love for God should mean that you love your neighbor in deeper ways. Jesus teaches us this, that in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelled in the neighborhood. The word became flesh and lived among people. This is, what, this is what God did. So the church is this collection of people who come together for a purpose, but the church also has this local identity. And I think as a church, we're not a perfect reflection of this, but I think we're trying to be a faithful reflection of this. Learning to, to love the local area that God has given us, because we have a lot of challenges in our county, right? 
a lot of challenges. And how does the church step into those and breathe life and pour time and resources and energy? So you have collective, you have local, and then you also have another circle. So you can draw this, take a picture on the screen. It's a global. Uh, Because throughout the book of Acts, you have the collection. You have the church that continues to get together for prayer and edification, for sacraments, for things like that. You have the church throughout the book of Acts that they understand there is a local mission for them, a city and a context they've been called to love and spread the good news. But there's also this global mission. And the global mission took a little time to get going, but this is where God was leading people. Uh, So in chapter 9, you have Saul who becomes Paul. It's Saul's conversion. And in that conversion story, what you read are scales fell from Saul's eyes when he was baptized into Christ. Scales fell. And and when I started reading that, and I noticed that probably 10 years ago as I was reading Acts 9, it's like God performed the first ever LASIK surgery. Because he knew that Saul was as racist as they get. He was a Jew of a Jew who didn't think anybody else. They were all second, third class citizens. And God had to change the way Saul, literally, pardon the pun, he had to change the way Saul saw the world, how he saw people. So that through changing his eyes, Saul could now see that Gentiles and non-Jews are invited into his kingdom. In Acts chapter 10, it's, Peter, who had to learn about Gentiles being grafted into the story of God. But then in Acts chapter 11 and in Acts chapter 15, the whole church gets together in Jerusalem to talk about this. Because the problem was, do Gentiles, are they invited into the church? And not just are they invited in, but what kind of behavior do they have to have once they get in? One of the biggest challenges in the book of Acts is that there were still a lot of Jews who thought Jews' lives were the only ones that mattered. And what you have in the book of Acts is God screaming to people and to leaders and to the church that Gentiles' lives matter and Samaritans' lives matter and anyone who who hadn't been given a chance or they'd been pressed out, their lives matter and they're being drawn into the family of God so the church better get on board. The reason that God would sometimes send his spirit upon people before conversion, like in Acts 8 or Acts 10 or later on in the book of Acts. The reason sometimes he would do this, one of the reasons, is I think he wanted the leaders, his leaders, to know that God got to that place first. It wasn't just about them going somewhere and then spreading the news and then God would come and follow them. It's that God was in the forefront. He was at the very front of this mission that the gospel of Jesus was moving throughout the world and the church needed to get on board and follow. Now, you see those on the screen? Let me show you just quickly how cool it is, how beautiful it is when these things begin to mesh together. I I love sharing these stories, all right? So look on the screen. uh, Because what happens when the collective and the local, when they mesh, when they overlap? And this is exciting to me. I think this church, I think we do a pretty good job of this. We have this collection of people We have this local identity. So people in the 901 have begun to know who we are. Our reputation of being a church who wants to live for the community is growing. So in the book of Acts, you have this collection of the church and the local ministry, and they begin to mesh. Uh, You see this, and this is where the love of God and the love of neighbor makes sense. Uh, This is where people who live in Memphis who really care about God When we start asking questions, uh, what are the problems that we face in our city, in our county? And when we begin hearing of, uh, uh, 
we begin hearing of people who've been incarcerated and they need extra, they need another chance. They need a second chance. They need a 12th chance. A ministry like Hope Works was born. Uh, you have um, uh, fit moms and you have a lot of kids in our city who are uh, in the foster care system. So stuff like Agape and other nonprofits are born because there are problems and the church steps in because we, we, need, to, we need to step in because God's in these places. Because what God is teaching the church in the book of Acts is that when the gospel is spreading throughout the world, it's not just about people making decisions to be saved. It's not just status change. It's not just moving people from lost to found, from unsaved to saved. When the gospel of Jesus spreads throughout the world, it is about this new community. It's about mission and identity and this unique expression of who God is. When, when uh, you see the collective and the local begin to meet in the New Testament, there are times where God is affirming in a church their unique expression of the kingdom. So in Revelation, when Jesus speaks to the seven churches, there are things he affirms about them, who they were, because all churches aren't meant to look alike. They're meant to be faithful wherever they are. So when you have the local and the collective joined together, the kingdom begins to happen. But I want you to see a problem and a challenge because what happens when the collection of the body and the local ministry begin to mesh, but the global is separated. What happens is, without knowing it, you, you can begin to have a small view of God. You can become nearsighted. And sometimes our prayers are, God, we're in this city, we're in this county, there are challenges, and we need you to step into them. And God is saying, I'm, I'm happy to step into them, but what I want the church every once in a while to do is to peek your head up to see that I'm so much bigger than what's happening in Memphis and Shelby County that I'm doing things all over the world. So, so what happens when the collective and the global mesh? Because I think this is a beautiful mess too. Because when you have the church that understands that the gospel is spreading all over the world, people need to hear about Jesus, there's redemption that needs to spread, you have this beautiful thing because the book of Acts, this is how it happens. It begins to spread throughout all the world and the church is moving and God is going, God's performing miracles and doing things and calling people into his kingdom. So when the church, the collection of people and the global mission of God begin to mesh, you see the kingdom come. The, the gospel is spreading. Uh, things are happening. Um, but what happens when there's a mesh without the local? Uh, because, you know, we're able to do things with mission efforts over the last 100 to 150 years that we've never been able to do before because of transportation. Right? We can get places a lot easier than people could hundreds of years ago. But what often happens and what the church has to be careful of is that when the church and the global mesh, yet the local is, is not as important. What happens is, is we begin to think that the gospel is something we support, not something we participate in. We begin to think that we write checks to support the gospel. Uh, and sometimes even thinking, and maybe we don't say this, but if I write a check, then maybe I'm exempt from loving my neighbor. Any effort to spread the gospel throughout the world without an effort to know who your neighbors and your coworkers are isn't lining up with who God wants us to be. But then you also have one more mesh, all right? Sometimes uh, the local and the global come together. And I love this mesh. I love being with these people. 
Because people who have a heart for local efforts and for global efforts are people who, when I'm around them, I see them as justice-oriented people. I see them as people who are compassion-driven. They care about orphans and widows and injustices. And globally, they care about refugees and their uh, things that happen like in Haiti. They care about uh, crises. They care about people having clean drinking water. So you have the local and the global that come together. And it begins moving in the heart of people who really care about what God's doing locally and in abroad. But what happens when the global and the local mesh and there's no collection is that I usually get to hear stories from those people for about 18 months or three years. And then they burn out because there's no collection. There's no core. There's nothing holding them together and encouraging them. The mesh of the book of Acts is when the collection and the local and the global all come together. And right in the middle, you have what I put on the screen, what Jen Hill, who put all these together for me, thanks, thanks, Jen, is you have the kingdom. And I think this is why this church is making the decisions that we've made for years, is that we don't just want to be a church that, it, that supports global missions without being a church that's called into our immediate community, and we don't want to be called into just our, the community around us to help people know Jesus and surrender their lives to Jesus if we're not also investing in what God is doing all over the world. We're not a church that's been ca- called to do everything in the kingdom. But we want to have this worldview of who God is, how his heart beats, where his mission's driving us. Does this all make sense? So as life groups and small groups, I'm inviting you to take some of these graphs into your discussions over lunch, over dinner, whenever you get together today to talk about how you find your own self and your experiences gravitating maybe more to one area and what happens when we neglect other areas. So a couple of months ago, I told you a story about this school in Dallas. Uh, It's a school for the visually impaired. So a lot of kids who are blind. And for the teacher parent night, this teacher talked to an eye doctor who made glasses for the parents to put on so the parents could see the world the way their kids do. And when that teacher put those glasses on the parents, almost every parent in the room started to cry because they had never, like, had the vision of their children to see what their kids could see or to not see all the things their kids couldn't see. And I think there are days where we come together as a church, and what God does is God wants to take off the way he sees the world, his glasses, and place them on the church to help you see life the way God sees life. And our vision is only strengthened in that way when we surrender more to the life of Jesus. So can we stand together as a church? Kip, if you want to go ahead and make your way up. For those who are praying for us today, we have shepherds in the back, in the front. We have female prayer leaders who are here to pray with with some of you. And I I invite you every Sunday to take advantage of some of these places because up here to my right, Phil Hart is right here. Uh, Phil is here to receive anyone who has a prayer need, but these other people are in place. And it may not be something you want to bring before the church. These are people you just want to go and have them pray with you about your vision being expanded, your, your view of God being an accurate view of who God is and what he wants for you in your life. So let's sing a couple of songs and feel free to move for prayer this morning. Turn.